pray for us, and we'll get right into this, God's Word today. Father, thank you that you are God who is a God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Father, I'm just so grateful for um, the rhythm of each other and from you. And so we just stop right now, Father, and I just pause and reflect. And, and Father, that you would search our hearts. If there is anything that we have, um, any sin or any struggle, any things that we're not trusting you with. Father, I just pray that, Lord, you would touch us today. Speak to us now. And Lord, we worship you and praise you. Pray that your spirit, God, would, uh, would teach us through your word, would magnify Jesus' name, and that you would bring your kingdom. Amen. Well, today we are um, talking a little bit about true hospitality. So grateful this follows up from Randy's uh, message on the peace of God. And um, I, I don't know about you, but just after that message, I was just filled with a hunger and desire um, to ask for peace in my own heart, in my own spirit. So thank you, Randy, for that. Um, today, world. And I, I think that's really cool how it ties in uh, today. Well, several years ago, I was on a missions trip to Panama, and uh, we were, uh, had a couple days off, and so we had a, a, a time in which we were to break away from our ministry to a local school and uh, partnering with some of the Chinese churches in the area. And so we traveled to the capital city of Cologne, which is um, on the other side, about an hour's drive from, uh, from uh, the Panama Expressway where we were staying. And so our host, who spoke Chinese and English and Spanish all super fluently, um, into to driving, he said, yeah, we should make it. And knowing he grew up and was born and raised in Cologne, um, I trusted him. Um, however, <laughs> we eventually went down a hill and then boom, ran out of gas. And uh, we were unfortunately going up the hill, so we could not, you know, just ride the wave down. And so we stop off by the side of the road, and um, he tries to turn it. It just didn't, it didn't turn. We stop off by the very um, side, and then we, it was one of those big, you know, those Toyota vans from the 80s. And so we're like, okay, I think we can push it right, and put it into gear, so we get up and give it a running start, no use, um, it doesn't start, it's nearing nightfall, there's no, and we're just kind of like, ooh, I wonder what this guy is holding, you know, does he have a weapon, does he have a knife, and the first thing he says, you know, this is not the best place to stop, <laughs> you know, this is not a great place to be, and literally, we were in the middle of wilderness jungle, He's like, I can protect you. And, and I'm in my head and in everybody's head, he's like, oh man, this guy thinks we're tourists, which we were, at least we were. But our friend was the host who had grown up in Cologne. He was like, hey, you, we're not, we're not I, I've grown up here in Cologne. I mean, that's the roughest part of town. I'm good. And so um, a couple hours later, um, we eventually get through to a cell phone. Nobody was picking up, but eventually... One of our host friends comes and picked us up. And later on, I asked about the guy who approached us. And he's like, my friend, who's the host, he said, yeah, we just, he, we just gave him some money he, just for his trouble. And that's what he was really looking for. 
You know, all of us have been in places in which we've received hospitality only to find out that somebody else wanted something back in return. And these were the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They would throw parties not for the sake of loving on the community or loving their guests, but for the sake of letting, getting something out of them, of getting invited to their party and maybe to get some rewards um, in the financial uh, realm. And, and this powerfully drives home what true hospitality is. True hospitality, if you flip to the next screen, true hospitality is humble love towards strangers without expecting something in return. And it's an invitation to reflect the Father's heart of Jesus, the greatest host of all. And that's what we'll be driving toward this morning. And so picture the dinner party. Jesus is invited to this dinner party, and the crowd is in full swing. And the dinner guests were the who's who in the religious scene of Israel. But this was a party for one reason. It was a setup. It was a setup to get Jesus nailed because we see in verse 1 that Jesus is being carefully watched. The day is the Sabbath. The religious leaders were like those parking meter attendants who wanted to trap Jesus in another Sabbath violation. And yet Jesus was the one who turned the tables on them, showing them their broken and loveless hearts. And so Jesus, as of you, would, if you find your ox or your kid that's fallen in a ditch, would not go out and save them. And Jesus deliberately calls the guests out on their pride. How would you like to go to a dinner party, to a bridges party, a Christmas party, to whatever it is, and then get called out for wanting the best seats? Well, in Jewish culture, they would have these U-shaped couches where the host would sit on the bottom of the U and the seats on the left and to the right directly. But just in case, though, um, and they would not hold it because usually a more eminent, maybe more prestigious person had been invited and usually they would come later. So imagine if you went to a dinner party and you sit down at one of these way back into the very, very back, the furthest away from the host. Imagine how embarrassed you would be um, if you just comes, he can come out and say to you, hey, I actually really want you close to me. Move up to a better place. And then in that, you'll be all honored by all of your guests. Finished yet. <laughs> Jesus goes after the dinner host as well. Look at verse 12 through 14. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give it the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the job. Not merely just inviting only your rich friends, your rich neighbors, your, your rich uh, family members, your rich uncle, rich aunt, for the purposes of motive. Their motive was to get something back in return. And so their hospitality was transactional. Instead, Jesus says, for hospitality is literally love of the stranger. And true hospitality is humble love of the stranger without expecting anything in return. It's when you love people in such a way that you make strangers into friends. Besides giving. Where no motive exists besides giving. And Jesus, that's why he specifically marks out the popular 
And so Jesus is clear. If you want to make your guest list, you want to make your guest list a people who cannot repay you. Back in the ancient Near East, they heavily relied on hospitality. I mean, that was the way that the world uh, went around. We see this also uh, because they were nomadic. Uh, public inns were rare, so a traveler had to depend on somebody else's kindness and, um, and love and hospitality. And so we see this in uh, Genesis 18 with Abram, where Abram was visited by three men that suddenly stood in front of him and like out of nowhere in the middle and the heat of the day. And he knows that these are special visitors, so he immediately asks his wife to prepare some bread cakes, and then he goes and grabs a calf, and then he kills it. Again, that was just almost normal, ordinary hospitality. It was expected. And this prompted hospitality with Lot in the next chapter. Hospitality throughout the Old Testament, was, um, is where the Pentateuch speaks of hospitality, not as a special right, but a sacred duty that everyone was expected to observe, especially for those who are the outcasts. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 18 through 19. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. And so he hits it home. He says, you know the reason why you do hospitality is to remind you that you were once sojourners in Egypt, Israel. And you are reflecting the great love and the hospitality um, of your focus of hospitality and sending out disciples and then uh, relying on hospitality in his own ministry. Hospitality is by no means limited to just the stranger either. In the New Testament, we see that it was toward believers that were called to show hospitality toward this inside the fold. Peter says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. But the clear sense of our passage is that true hospitality is not just to your own people, and especially to those who you could probably restore. And so for in doing, we could be entertaining angels unaware like Abram did in Genesis 18. And so the ultimate reward, Jesus says, is not for you to climb up the social ladder or for you to get financial favors or for you to look better in the eyes of the crowd. The ultimate reward here is, is being repaid at the resurrection of the just. And this is the first mention in Luke's gospel what I think Jesus was saying is that those who are generous in hospitality will be repaid. It's not that we can't look for rewards, but we look toward our Father at the very end of the age in which we will receive his peace, his smile. And we'll be rewarded by our Father who give generously without any, expecting anything in return. You are blessed now. And as Randy was talking about last week, it literally means, that word for blessing means happy. And this word also, though, points to not just a feeling, not just a be resurrected, to shine like stars forever and ever. And your hospitality is showing people a glimmer of that. See, hospitality is not a side hobby. It's, it's something the stranger. Do I show love that doesn't expect anything in return. Just think about that for about 10 seconds. Guests are mad. The host is mad at Jesus. <laughs> um, 
And so that's when uh, a well-meaning guest tries to diffuse the situation. Look at verse 15. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, greater feasts to come. But really, he was really trying to bolster the religious leaders, probably out of their shattered confidence. But as Pastor Arkin Hughes puts it, he says, quote, in essence, it meant Blessed are the likes of us who will eat in the feast in the kingdom of God. Amen. Well said. Now pass the salt. <laughs> Jesus will not let that slide. And that's where Jesus tells this parable that shows that true hospitality simply reflects the heart of the greatest host of all. Verse 16, but he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many and at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly in the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste my banquet. It's to the ultimate kingdom banquet, the supper of the lamb, which is um, just foreshadowed in Revelation 19.9 and Revelation 13. More on this later, but the idea of feasting and lavishness speaks of our desires, that we have a longing to be satisfied, and we can either choose to be satisfied with the most generous toast of all, and there our longings will be eternally satisfied. Jesus is talking about what we long for, what we think would satisfy. And then the second was a formal invite to the invited guest, basically saying the banquet is here, come. And so to respond yes to the first invitation, and you may read these, these things and, and, and these reasons, and you say, well, I don't think these excuses seem that, they don't seem that unreasonable. What's the big idea? But you actually see, as you go deeper, you'll see that these excuses don't really hold water. Somebody has recent purchase of a field. He says that it's necessary for him to see it. It almost sounds like the excuse was that he had not, he had bought it, but he hadn't seen it yet, so he needed to go run of livestock that needs to be expected. And he brought five yoke of oxen, which is a pretty good number, and he says, I got to go to examine them. During that, you know, people here in Texas have 10, 20, 15, uh, five acres of land, um, and so he was a wealthy man. In reality, he could have done that anytime. But unlike this first guy, who was at least polite about it, he couched his excuse and obligation, and he said he was already on his way to go see them. And so it just showed his heart that his heart was just consumed by his possessions. The last invitee almost sounded legit. I got married, <laughs> so I'm done. I can't celebrate anymore. Uh, it's, it's just saying, if you were invited to the greatest dinner party of the century, wouldn't you give up everything to attend, right? Why would marriage exclude you from the, um, you don't get childcare for your kids or whatever it is, to go. And so these people kind of just made kind of these excuses because their longings, their satisfaction was not in the something better. 
but is in... But you know that the table is still open, and instead he gets a whole new audience. The master commands his servant to go quickly, bring in the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and the... And yet, after all that, there was still more room. So that's when the master tells, we got enough seats for everyone. Not, there's not one seat in this room that's not going to be filled. Go out to the... tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste my banquet. The true question... Is that whether these excuses hold water? The room is hosted by none other than the Father, God himself. And Jesus is that servant. We see that the Father has a plan. And he has the authority. He sent his servant, his son, Jesus Christ, our gracious servant, to the highways and the hedges to bring those strangers to him and you know who those strangers are who are of jewish descent although there is some is 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 the fact that it's talking about those who are like toward us who have sinned against him and have angered him and we were we were his enemies we were opposed to him we were, should have through his lord through his son lord jesus christ and at the Last Supper, when Jesus celebrated the Passover, he was not just inviting his disciples to a meal. He was preparing the way for sinful strangers to become friends. He was pointing, he was saying, this is what cost for you to be invited and to fill a seat at my party. My body broken for you. My blood spilled out for you so that and you restored into the family of God. And so come, come. The table is open. The table is open. And it's a feast of unimaginable hospitality is what brought you from being a stranger to a friend. It was one who gave everything without expecting anything in return. And we're invited to pull up a chair and to sit with the Lord, a picture of that um, in, in, in this well-known psalm, and I just want to kind of hinge on verses 5 and 6. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And we're always cluing in on the first part where, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, or I shall not be in want of anything, right? He makes me lie down beside still waters. He makes me lie down uh, beside green pastures. He restores my soul. And so we see the beginning of this is always talking about the shepherd treating his special sheep, and Jesus is that chief shepherd, but you know the scene shifts from a farm to a table. Do you see that it comes from a, a caring shepherd to a lavish host? And how he treats special guests. Our great shepherd becomes our hosts. Host. Right? Or co-host with Jesus, who is the servant, that, who is also the son, who is seated at that place of honor, at the right hand of the Father. 
And that's where Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, I mean, picture this. They lavish their love on you. And this is not just a picture of the future, but this is a picture of now. The gate is open. The table is prepared. And this is a picture of our Father and our Son and the Holy Spirit and of their manifold care for us. W.S. Plummer observes this. He says that to prepare a table was to make ready a feast. It was to do more than to give a loaf of bread to a weary pilgrim. It was to detain one as a guest and set before him the best of everything that could under, everything that could under the, as y'all know, uh, we're still continuing to pray. Thank you so much for praying and fasting for Peter Swan as he is still being, as far as I know, detained by the government. We are praying for that, him. It was, um, can't imagine how tough the holidays were. I um, heard from Shauna how hard it was. Hard for the nippers, hard for the family. Detainment is not anything that anybody wants to wall. I think it captures this one, this psalm. You know that when you ever, you're with somebody and you really just are enjoying their company, and you're with them, you just want to be with them for, you know it's like midnight or 1 a.m. And this is the sense of this detainment that the, the gracious hope is wanting to surprise us with the very thing. And sometimes you don't even get to talk to the host because they are busy. And I love the tradition that when the host of the party and those getting married come around to the tables to personally greet you. God not only prepares a table for you, church family, but he meets you at your table. And contrary to the whole tradition of visiting tables for pictures and just moving on, he waits for you with a while, for a while. That's what comforts me about, you know, even with Peter. I just know there are so many passages in Acts that he is, um, would never want to see that happen to anybody, but I know that the Lord's presence is with him. The Lord is with him to a degree that I can never know or never imagine, but the Spirit of God is sustaining him. Spirit of God is sustaining all of us. And I think, and I think the Lord is sitting with them. I mean, I would hate to sit at the table. It seems uncomfortable, but it seems here in Psalm 23 that, that God is not at the point of judging his enemies yet. All those who haven't fully trusted in Christ, but he is humbly his table is still open. The host would also wash their feet and perfume your head up with oil, and that's why the cup overflows. It means that God never leaves your cup empty. And in Chinese culture, we're always looking to fulfill and fill up our elders' teacups to the brim. It's like, you know, you're just to fill it up to the brim. He wants to overflow it. And God is looking to overflow your cup of joy at all times. In your circumstances, whatever they are, that's his heart always. That the great I am wants to love on you. And friends, church family, do you know that this is the God who welcomes you? Do you know that this, you are so um, loved by God? 
Or maybe you think you are unimportant to God. Maybe you suspect that he is, you just feel that you haven't felt him, his presence, he's just distant. And I just say, whoever, whatever you are feeling at this point, God is your host and he's inviting you to his table and he wants to stay for a while. He enjoys you. And I pray that hospitality would first be shown by the Father, that you would taste of the hospitality of our God and you cannot help but reflect his heart to others. And we're going to meditate on that in a second, but I was just talking to some of the leaders, collaboration of people who want to show the love of the Father to the homeless um, and to those caught in sex trafficking and those and helping churches and their na- to reach their neighbors and their neighborhoods um, in the streets of Houston. And you can kind of see um, some of this. This is started through a brother who actually played guitar here one time for us. His name is Lorenz. And um, he was doing prison ministry for a time, and he was shut down in COVID, by COVID um, and couldn't enter in those prisons in person. And so he started going to the homeless instead and, and just serving them. And so they're out there, except for um, November and um, uh, February. Uh, every third Saturday of the month, they would gather one location, and they would just split up into the teams, and they would just go out all around Houston, and all they would do is look for as many homeless base camps as they could find with care packages and food and the love of Jesus. And so he's actually made a map. If you want to take a look at the map, there's a map of more tents, there's more families, there's, there's, there's kids, there's people from all over the map. Um, and he's pinpointing all these things in his heart is just to say, hey, and looking for strangers um, and giving out prayer cards and for aftercare and, and just loving the stranger. And the goal is not just to go and one and done, just building relationships and people are just com- encouraged to, to go out and walk. And I was struck by one of the testimonies by one of the guys who helps lead this ministry and will take over the lead of that. He's literally a stranger and God just restored him Um, changed him, and all he wants to do is just bring the love of the Father. And these guys, they were like yelling, they were belligerent, they were mean, they were yelling at people in the cars, and so he's like, I'm going to approach them. And so he goes out, he just shows them the love of walk out before one of those Mack trucks and just end my life. And through that, he was just able to address just who God is. Amen? Beautiful picture of what it looks like um, to look for strangers to love. And so I just want to, God is calling you to, it could be just driving by down Cyprus, um, and you'll see amidst the trees, you, you start looking, you start, if you, if you heart posture toward people, how about just to people you don't know, that you haven't met yet, but maybe the Lord wants to use you to be a peacemaker to them. Maybe with the love of Jesus on some of these outreaches, it could mean um, just sharing um, our lives with those who are just out of prison and, and coaching them and doing life together. More on, um, as the band um, comes up and um, as our prayer partners come forward, I just wanted to share a little bit of a story of a guy I met. Corner, I get one of my care packages that I have in my car and I, and I give it to him and I said, hey, you know, my name is Steve and, um, and he's like, I don't want your care package. I'm like, oh, anything, is there, how long? And I just asked him about his story. And I just, I think I realized that he just wanted a conversation. He talked a little bit about his sister who had died about a year, year and a half ago. 
Um, and you just tell, like, every single time he brought it up, he would just start choking up. Um, and then talked about some of the other family issues that he was going through. And they were just so clear that he just wanted me to set up a table next to him and talk with him for a while. And so that's what we did. Um, and even just got to be able to spend time with him. And by the end of our conversation, I was just able to spend more time with them. And um, we got to pray together and um, give him some clothes because he literally, it was one of the coldest days of the year and he had no shirt on. So we just got to give him a, some jeans and somebody else ran by and gave him a shirt. And, um, but I'll just say, that was, that was not a feast of any epic proportions. <laughs> um, it was like a care package of like a Nature Valley cracker and you know that, this and that, but it was a feast because we really got to just hang out together and spend time in prayer and just dialoguing with the Lord and we'll have our prayer partners come forward. We really want to encourage, if you are looking and hungry for prayer, we just want you to be prayed over today and so we have some prayer partners who would love to pray over anything that you have on your heart. Um, but let's just want to reflect on two things. First, reflect on how God lavishes his love. I'd love for you guys to just ask the Holy Spirit to help you, um, to lead you to that place in which you could dine with the Father. Let's read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me rod and your staff. Will you just dine with Jesus right now? as a side thing but as a gospel thing to bring the Father's heart to those around you. Sacrifice. Thank you Jesus for breaking your body for us and pouring out your blood for us. Showing us what true and humble hospitality is. Father, as we have been forgiven much, may we love much. And Lord, will you just speak to wanting to love the stranger or love 
others in our fold or outside of our fold. We would love and be gracious to those. Because people need your touch in this broken world.